Well, I do appreciate uh, Nick wearing a bunch of different hats this morning. I, I, I sauntered over to him just before the opening scripture and prayer and said, I don't think Tom's here. And my intention was he could just skip ahead and go to announcements. <laughs> but instead, he got up and gave a spur-of-the-moment scripture and prayer. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Shows you, you can be involved in the opening scripture and prayer, too. You guys can do this. So, if Ted ever asks you, you can say, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, today is going to be our last study together in this series of living with character and conviction, uh, conviction from the book of Daniel. And, and as I warned you at the very beginning of this series, we are not doing a study of prophecy. I mean, the, the last six chapters of Daniel are just loaded with prophetic nuggets, and, and they're fascinating to study and a lot of fun to discuss back and forth. But since we're doing a character study of the man Daniel himself, rather than a, a study of his book and, and uh, prophecies, uh, then that means these last six chapters uh, uh, that focus on prophecy are not really the intent of this series. And so that's why we spent just one Sunday, last Sunday, looking at some of the highlights of different prophetic points that I believe every Bible-believing Christian could agree on rather than all the minutiae that people like to argue about and disagree on. Um, of course, that means that... Uh, since we're not doing a detailed study of prophecy, there's a lot of material we're leaving uncovered here in Daniel, and that's okay, because that just gives you uh, 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 something for you to explore on yourself, and I would encourage you to read those last chapters and think through them uh, and, and uh, enjoy what you learn from them. For today, we have one final topic that I want to cover uh, concerning the man Daniel and his life. You know, there, there's an old saying that says this, never take financial advice from someone who's broke. <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And, uh, and pretty obvious. Obviously, that could be applied to any area of life, right? Uh, never take organizational tips from someone who's constantly late and forgets stuff all the time, right? Uh, never take cleaning recommendations from a person who lives in a pigsty. If you, if you want to know how to keep your garage neat and clean and orderly, don't ask me. <laughs> not not going to work. Never take carpentry instructions from a man whose house is falling apart. Never take music lessons from a person who can't carry a tune in a wheelbarrow. I mean, you guys get the point, right? Uh, if you're going to seek advice and help in order to improve some every area of your life, you want to get that information from someone who has mastered the topic that you're interested in. So that's exactly what we're going to do today for our last Sunday in uh, this particular series. So if you haven't already done so, grab your Bible, open up to Daniel chapter 9, and uh, to help us get focused on. In fact, the main verse we're going to be looking at is just one verse there, chapter 9, verse 3. And it says this. Daniel speaking says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Father God, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to be together this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the sacrifice he made on our 
on our behalf that we might be given new life. Our sins could be forgiven. And God, now you want us to grow in that life. And and as we come to this time of, of preaching, we pray that you would use your word and use me as an instrument in your hand that we might grow. Father, your, your word tells us like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. That's our desire this morning, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, <clears throat> there have been a lot of different surveys that have been done, uh, particularly or specifically surveys of people claiming to be Christians. And many of those surveys have had a question that was uh, like, might be worded differently, but the idea was what is one area in your spiritual life where you would like to improve? And, and almost consistently, almost across the board, the number one answer that comes out is prayer, prayer life. Uh, most Christians would like to have a better, deeper, stronger prayer life. I mean, I, I know I do, right? Uh, I looked in my own personal library there in, in, in my office just for the fun of it, decided to count how many books I have on prayer. And I have 21, 21 books in my office on prayer. They have titles like, Prayer and the Praying Man, or With Christ in the School of Prayer, or Prayer, More Than Words, or Prayer Power, or Breakthrough Prayer, or Too Busy Not to Pray, and all all these books, and 21 of them, and that doesn't count all the other books I have that might have a chapter or two just on the subject of prayer, and I've read them all. And yet still I can say, I wish I had a better prayer life. And my guess is that's just pretty much true of almost every Christian, or at least any believer who is thinking deeply and taking seriously their their Christian life. One one of the books I have on prayer is written by an old-time preacher named Andrew Murray, and he had the habit of getting up at 4 a.m. every single morning so that he could spend three hours in prayer before he got ready for the day. I mean, that's before he would take a shower and, and eat breakfast and get ready for the day. And in his book, he said, I wish I had a deeper, richer prayer life. I'm thinking, whoa. You know, I, I, I'm guessing that no matter where you are in your prayer life, whether it's virtually non-existent or maybe just kind of sporadic and occasional or maybe you've got a fairly regular prayer time going or, or even close to what this Andrew Murray guy had, no matter where you're at, I'm guessing there's a bunch of us in here that would say, I wish I had a better prayer life. Well, if so, if you're one of those people, then a good person to get advice from would be someone who has mastered the art and practice of prayer. And that's where Daniel comes in. Because if there's one thing that we have learned from studying his life, from the time he was a young boy to now an old man, it's the fact that Daniel was a prayer. And as we wrap up this series, I am convinced that if we truly want to be able to live our lives with character and conviction in this broken and fallen world, then we too need to be prayers. 
And several of the commentators that I read this week spoke about the different approaches Daniel took to prayer and what we can learn from that for our own lives. And so I decided to kind of compile some of that information and bring together those ideas. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, what we can learn from Daniel's approach to enhance our own prayer life. But, but before we get there, we, we need to establish the occasion for this particular prayer. Uh, his prayer goes from verse 3 or 4 uh, all the way through verse 19. And I would encourage you to go home this afternoon, read that prayer, look for a pattern that you can find in prayer. That's what I was originally going to focus on, but then I got bogged down in focusing on the approach here, and we're going to do that. But uh, do that on your own. Uh, we know that Daniel had developed a consistent, uh, unvarying habit of prayer. Remember back in chapter 6 when we did Daniel in the lion's den, uh, we, noted, we read there that Daniel said he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Right? Even though prayer had been outlawed, uh, he kept doing what he had previously practiced. Daniel prayed every day. In fact, you notice there it says he prayed three times a day. Um, uh, basically, uh, he had learned that he had to have a consistent pattern for prayer and that that improved, strengthened his spiritual life. But what we have here going on in, in chapter 9 is a little bit different. Look at verse 2 there. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So the reign he's talking about, the first year of the reign, that's referring to King Darius. So this, this took place just after Babylon had been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar had been deposed and killed as, as the last king of Babylon. And Darius the Mede had been installed as, as the ruler and things were beginning to change. And, and during that time of transition, we find out that Daniel was having a Bible study, right? He somehow had gotten hold of a copy of the scrolls of the prophet Jeremiah's writings. And Jeremiah, you may remember, was alive and ministering when Daniel was first carted off, taken captive and carted off to Babylon. And um, God had warned Israel through multiple prophets leading up to that time uh, about their impending doom if they did not repent and return to the Lord. And, and uh, the, the message was there for them to return, but they, they didn't, they refused. And by the time Jeremiah the prophet came, the message had been changed from, hey, you guys can, can avoid this. You can, you, you can get out of it if you just repent and turn to now. Jeremiah was saying, get ready, judgment is coming, it's here. And he was prophesying even as Babylon came in and took over. So Daniel got a hold of those scrolls and was studying Jeremiah. And as he did, says he discovered that God's uh, promise was uh, to limit the punishment of Israel to 70 years. So even though there's a lot of gloom and doom in Jeremiah as far as the nation of Israel goes, there was also hope presented, this promise from God that he wasn't just forsaking Israel and wasn't going to turn his back on them permanently, but that there was going to be a limited time of punishment for them. And uh, that means, uh, we're guessing, that Daniel was probably reading Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, which says this. 
This whole land, because it's not just Israel, it's the little nations around them as well. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror. These nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And then just a a few chapters later, uh, Daniel would have come across God's promise specifically for Israel where it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place, this place, home, their home country, Israel, their own land. And that filled Daniel's heart with hope and joy. His people were going to be able to go home. He was an old man at this time, probably in his 80s, and therefore would not be able to make an arduous journey like that, but his people would be able to go home. That 70-year time period was coming to an end. Daniel had already been captive 66 years there in Babylon. So what did that cause him to do? Well, it drove him to his knees to pray. This was not his regular prayer time, rather a special seeking of God due to this new information that he had gained. And that, that's true in our lives, right? There's, there's, there's things that happen in our lives that cause us to go to God in prayer. And, and sometimes it might be traumatic events, right? I'm sure that Daniel did a whole lot of praying as he was taken captive and being carted off to this foreign land, not knowing what his future was going to be and what was going to happen to him. I know In our own life, DJ and I spent way more time than usual praying when we found out that Daniel had leukemia. And most likely you in here have had some hard things happen in your lives and it's driven you to your knees to pray. There's just certain events that happen that cause us to pray. But it doesn't have to be traumatic. In Daniel's instance here, the case was this good promise of God that he had come across uh, and that it was nearing fulfillment. And this excited Daniel and it caused him to pray. But I think part of the reason he prayed was because he knew that the cause of their current uh, condition and and circumstances was based on the rebellion uh, of Israel. Uh, God had made a covenant with Israel and it was an if-then covenant. If-if-then. And and that means if you do certain things, then God will do certain things. Um, If they obeyed his commands. And he gave them this covenant just before they came into the promised land. If they would obey his commands, then blessing and peace and fruitfulness would come to them. Moses uh, laid it out like this uh, in Deuteronomy 28. He said, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And then he goes on to list a ton of the blessings that he's talking about. Things like healthy families and bumper crops and increasing herds and peace in their country and and good relationships in their cities and protection from their enemies and on and on this list of blessings goes. Then in verse 15, he gives the other possibility. But if it shall come about that you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I in charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then he lists 
all the specific consequences, the curses, the punishments that will happen if they do not obey. So it's this if-then covenant. And if you know the history of Israel, you know that they did not obey. But even so, God was very slow in pronouncing judgment against them. He gave them multiple uh, opportunities and tons of time to repent and obey. And he sent many, many prophets warning them, reminding them of these consequences from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, And one of those consequences that was clearly spelled out in Deuteronomy was that God would give victory to Israel's enemies so that those enemies could come in, overpower the land, and take the people captive off um, to foreign lands. And, and Daniel knew that this was exactly what had happened. But Daniel was also familiar with the path to restoration. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon, who built the temple, prayed a prayer of dedication for that temple. And in his prayer, he said this, When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to a land of the enemy, far off or near, if they take thought in the land and repent and make supplication to you, saying, We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. So so understanding that that condition of repentance for God's favor and work and that 70-year time limit Uh, was near completion, they needed to repent, that's what drove Daniel to pray. So, having looked at that, let's, let's look at some of the approaches or attitude that, that Daniel exhibited in his prayer because these are things that we can apply directly in our own life even though we would be in very different circumstances than him. Check out verse 3. It says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. The very first approach that, that uh, Daniel began with is it says he gave his attention to the Lord. In other words... This was a time of concentrated prayer. When, uh, when we covered Daniel in the lion's den, uh, I spoke about having an attitude of prayer all day long, an ongoing, casual conversation with God, with whatever is happening to you throughout the day. And that's part of what is meant in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when it says, pray without ceasing. It's having a, a constant awareness uh, of God and, and talking with Him all day long. But concentra- concentrated prayer is when you do everything you can to uh, pray to God without distraction. You eliminate uh, those things that would uh, cause you to lose focus and instead You look solely and completely upon God, communicating with Him, pouring out whatever that need is on your heart. It's doing nothing else but praying for an extended period of time. That's what it means when it says, I gave myself to the Lord. He he, he was concentrating in prayer. And, And you know, if you've ever tried to do this, 
you, you know how hard it is, right? I mean, I, I plan times of prayer and then I get distracted by the dumbest things. I'm going to sit down and pray and, and then this fly starts buzzing, right? And it just completely throws me all off. Or, or, or I'm, I'm praying and, and suddenly things begin popping into my mind that I need to be doing. I, I, I could be doing all these other things and they seem so urgent. Yeah, I need to get these other things done. Or maybe the fire siren goes off and I begin wondering, I wonder what's going on outside. And pretty soon I forget I'm even praying. I mean, am I the only one that this happens to? Because uh, otherwise I'm just preaching to myself. But man, <laughs> it, it is easy for us to get distracted. So if we're going to give ourselves to the Lord in prayer, that, that might mean making some practical plans in preparations for when you pray. It could mean turning your cell phone off because, you know, you could probably go for 15 minutes or half an hour or whatever without getting a text or a call or finding out what somebody put on Facebook. It could mean locking yourself in the bedroom or the bathroom, or the basement, or wherever you can get away from all noise and distraction and put a do not disturb sign on the door. For me, it means I have to have a piece of paper with me, a pen and a piece of paper, a notebook, because that way, when those things pop into my mind that are just urgent things that I should be doing, if I write them down, then I can dismiss them. But if I don't, then I'm constantly thinking about them, and I'm afraid I'm going to forget that I need to do that and stuff. But if I write it down... I found that I can just return to praying. So what about you? What, what practical steps do you need to take in order to concentrate on prayer? Second approach that Daniel took was one of self-denial. Look again at verse 3. It says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Now, the concept of fasting obviously could, could be its own sermon, but, but in a nutshell, um, here's what we need to understand about fasting. Fasting, first of all, is not required for us. It's not something that God says you have to do. Uh, for Israel, there was only one day a year that was a required fast. Once a year was it, and that was the Day of Atonement otherwise known as Yom Kippur. In the New Testament, there's no requirement for fasting for any of us, but at the same time, it was understood that Christians would choose to fast for certain uh, events or periodic times uh, of prayer. And we have the example of, of other believers in the New Testament fasting when they prayed, especially during times uh, of great intensity in life or opposition or, or confusion, uh, then they, they would uh, combine fasting with prayer. And in the very narrowest sense, fasting is doing without food in order to pray. In a broader sense, Fasting may mean putting aside any normal daily function or activity that gives you pleasure or meets a physical need in order to spend that time seeking God in prayer. And I need to let you know, there's nothing magical about fasting as if fasting somehow gives your normal prayers more power than they would otherwise have. 
Rather, fasting is a means of prioritizing our relationship with God and this particular need that we're bringing to God. It's a way, fasting is a way of saying that nothing, even my daily food, nothing is more important to me at this particular time than this relationship with God and my chance to communicate with Him this burden that is on my heart. By the way, fasting can be a great way to help with point number one, right? The concentrated prayer. If you take that time that you would normally spend preparing, eating, and cleaning up uh, a meal and use it for praying instead, I mean, it can do wonders for your prayer life. And I know some people that they like to build that into a schedule because that's the way they are. They're organized people and they want to be uh, regimented. And so they do it you know, once a week or however often they regiment it in. Others who have just done it uh, whenever something special or important has come up in their life and they really want to pray about it. Whatever the case for you, I would encourage you to try it. And if you want more details or information about fasting, you can come talk to me about that. Now, there's a a third attitude or approach that comes out in verse 3 as well, and it comes from those words sackcloth and ashes. And that's definitely not something that we do in our culture, but it was very common back then. Uh, It was a way of showing outwardly and tangibly what was going on inside your heart. A sackcloth was a very rough, uh, uncomfortable clothing, kind of like wearing a burlap sack. And uh, then you'd take ashes from the fire pit and, and sprinkle it over your head. And it was a symbol, a sign of showing deep, intense sorrow or regret over something. And, and they were signs not just of that sorrow, but of you humbling your heart before God. And that third approach to prayer is coming to God with a humbled heart. There's a big difference between being humiliated and being humbled. I mean, humiliation can come at the hands of others who would say or do terrible things towards you, and it might not even be based on the truth. In fact, most times it is not based on the truth, but a humbling always comes based on the truth and, and, and comes by being overwhelmed by the circumstances that are before you, whether good or bad, Right? I mean, just for a, a quick current example, I, I was really humbled over what happened with Camp Halawasa these past few weeks. I mean, prior to the thing starting, I was so excited to see what would happen and, and, and how God might use us and how lives might be changed or I- impacted for Christ. And, and of course, we, we have this, this eager, uh, exciting vision of the future of camp and, and how, how that's going to happen with our, our own land. And we, I just was really wanting everything to build and everything to be great. And, and then it's like it all collapsed not just once, but, but twice during this time. And I was, this, this last week I was driving some kids home. And Nick, because he is very organized is, as opposed to me, had an entire schedule written out for the whole week for the kids. And, and so I'm driving the kids home, and they're in the van, and they're going, oh, look, 
We were going to go to the lake on Wednesday. Oh, we were going to play zombie on Thursday night. And they're going like this, and I'm going, oh, you know, these kids are just mooning over what they would have been able to do. And my heart was just humbled as I found myself praying. And, and, and this is okay. I hope you don't think I'm a heretic or anything. Praying and questioning God. God, what are you doing? Why now? Why, why this? Sometimes we can be humbled by the great things God does. When God changes lives, when he draws a soul to himself, when he intervenes powerfully in your circumstances, I mean, it can truly humble your heart that God would, would do that for you. And having a humbled heart, I mean, that's a, that's a great place to be when it comes to concentrated prayer. Because the Bible tells us God draws near to the humble. He responds to that humbled heart. And part of being humble means being honest before God. I mean, and if you go home and you read Daniel's prayer, the rest of it, you'll see that honesty come out over and over again. Uh, he freely confessed uh, before God his sin. Look at, look at what he says in verse 5. We have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning away from your commandments and your ordinances. I mean, there was no sidestepping responsibility, no blaming somebody else, no cover-ups here, no justifying what was going on. And he was just honest. We blew it. We sinned. Straightforward confession. And powerful prayer is honest prayer. It, it, It includes honesty about our own failures, but it's also honest with God about how you feel. I mean, if you're disappointed with God, talk to him about that. If you're angry or hurt, you can express those things to God. God can take all of your emotions. So be honest with him, but also make sure you're honest in your own heart about yourself, as Daniel admitted his. And and actually, if you need help with this whole being honest with God in prayer thing, read some of the Psalms. Read all the Psalms because you'll see that honesty of emotion pouring out from King David and the other psalmists there. So there you have it. Three approaches that I believe will help you develop a better prayer life. Number one, plan concentrated times of prayer and taking whatever steps you need to to eliminate or minimize distractions. And number two, be willing to deny yourself uh, any daily pleasure or needs in order to focus on prayer. And so that might mean skipping a meal or skipping some time out with friends or getting up earlier in the morning, sacrificing some sleep or any number of other things. But temporarily denying yourself An otherwise legitimate activity can help you to focus your prayer. And number three, be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And then pour those things out before God. And I guarantee you that will enrich your prayer life. Take it from Daniel. He knows. Let's pray. Father God, It is so awesome that we have this privilege of being able to come to you at any time, at all times, and pray. 
And God, you're not impressed by sanctimonious words and, and special phrases and, and uh, particular ways of having to do things. You simply want our hearts. That honesty between us and you. So God, help us as we pray. Yes, we, we want to have that pray without ceasing, that ongoing conversation with you, that just casual talking with you throughout the day. But God, we want concentrated times of prayer where we eliminate distractions and focus on you, pour out our hearts, pleading with you, praising you. And God, we pray that in these things, you would help us to know that even as we would deny ourselves to focus on prayer, you fulfill us in ways we could never dream. So strengthen us in prayer, God, that we might better be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.